here at Crosspoint Baptist Church. If you're a guest here, I want to, again, welcome you and thank you for joining us this morning as we worship and serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As Dr. David said, um, this is a somewhat a continuation of Advent, our Advent sermon series, and uh, I just had to get one more in. That's, that's really what I had to do. And so um, I, I'm excited and I'm thankful. Uh, hopefully you have benefited from this series. But I do think that this will set us up for the new year. Um, on just, just personally, as an, I'm, I'm really excited about what the Lord m- may and can and will do in 2023 for us individual, individually and as a church. And I hope you're excited about that too. I hope that you have a, uh, a biblical hopefulness of what God can and can and will do through his people to advance his mission. Because here at Crosspoint Baptist Church, uh, our mission still continues from year after year. I don't have a catchy slogan for you. I don't have a catchy new theme or idea or, or catchphrase or whatever for the new year. The new year is going to be about this or we're going to be about this in 2023. Here's what I've said the last at least two to three years here. said every year at Crosspoint Baptist Church, we are going to be about this. We exist to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. And we will not change from that. That is what we're here for. And so I hope that you feel that in your spirit as well. That God can and will use us, his church here at Crosspoint, to make disciples of all nations. And so the next couple of weeks we're going to be doing some, some sermons about individual and corporate evangelism. I think it's an area that I need to personally grow in and that we need to personally grow in. If we want to see people to come and be disciples, we have to, what 1 Peter 2 tells us, make known the excellencies of Christ. We have to make known the excellencies of Christ. That means with our mouths, with our lives, we have to tell and appeal to people that Jesus is the most excellent thing in this universe. It has to come from our mouths and it has to come from our actions. That Jesus is the greatest treasure in this earth. And so I'm going to be calling on us as a church. I I pray that you consider over the next couple weeks. I challenge you to pray and consider how at the end of 2023, December 31st, 2023, that we can say individually and corporately that we have improved, that we have excelled, and that we have advanced to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and the glory of God more in 2023 than we did in 2022. Now, we can really truly say this, that Jesus Christ was more precious to us in 2023 at the end of this year. It starts on January 1st here at Crosspoint. It starts right now. Are you, this year, 2023, going to pursue and advance the mission to make disciples of all nations. There will be opportunities, as Jesus said himself. You might be thinking, we don't have enough opportunities here at Crosspoint. We don't have enough things going. We don't have enough things to do. Let me just tell you this. The problem is not opportunity. The opportunity is there. The problem is priority. Will you make it a priority? Because the opportunity, they exist. Will you, at the end of 2023, say, I have sought and endeavored to pursue to make disciples more this year than I ever have because I want to make known the excellencies of Christ. Okay, pre-sermon over. Second sermon is from Deuteronomy 32. If you have found your place there in Deuteronomy 32, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. 
and we'll be reading verses 1 through 43. Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 through 43. God's word says this, and I'll actually read the last verse of chapter 31. Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are crooked and a twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is, is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him and cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided them. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled with him with honey out of the rock, and out of the flinty rock, oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock, with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats, with the very finest of the wheat, and you drank foaming wine made from the blood of grapes, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout and sleek, then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations they provided him, provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and spurned them, because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation. Children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. And I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth and its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of the beast against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoors the sword shall breathe and indoors terror for young man and woman alike, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs. I would have said, I will cut them to pieces. I will wipe them from human memory. Had I not feared the provocation by the enemy, lest their adversary should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is triumphant. It was not the Lord who did all this. For they are a nation void of counsel, and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two have put ten thousand to flight? 
unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up. For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand. And their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and, he ha- and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven, as I swear, as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful for the opportunity that we have to come and open up your word and to hear about you, to see the greatness of who you are and that we may ascribe these things to you, to see your character, how you have been faithful and constant over the years, God. And God, I pray that this morning we would take comfort knowing that you are the rock of our salvation. God, I want to offer up prayers for our church family. God, we thank God for life in the birth of Asher Lucas Pace. We pray for his parents, Adam and Whitney. Thank you, God, for life. We pray right now for the Brumley family and the loss of Isaac. We pray that you would comfort their hearts. That God, even in both these situations of life and death, you are the rock of our salvation. You are stable and steadfast and give us security. Lord, I pray that as we begin this new year, That our church and our lives would be founded upon Christ, the solid rock in which we stand. And that we would seek to make disciples and to make known his excellencies to our neighbors and to the nations. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Like I said, I hope you've enjoyed this series. Uh, The goal of it was to see the promised one from all of scripture and that hopefully that Through these sermons, you've been able to see how uh, the Bible is just a unified story, and you've been able to see the interconnectedness of the Bible, how beautiful it is, how it speaks, the Old Testament speaks about and looks forward to Christ. And so this last sermon that kind of ends us off on this Advent series is actually a song. It's a song, as you see in verse 30 of chapter 31, Moses is singing a song. And as you know from even modern day songs, songs tell stories. And that's what Deuteronomy 32, what we just read, does. It tells a story. It tells a story about God and who He is and His character and His traits. 
And it also tells us something about Israel and who they are and what they're going to be in their future. And it also tells us why we so desperately need salvation from God himself. And so hopefully this morning you'll get from these verses here that God is the rock of our salvation who saves us and sustains us. Let's look at this, point number one. The rock of our salvation. Look at what Moses' song says about God. Just, just what it describes to him. Look at this. Uh, verse 3, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. And then he goes on to say particular things about God and his ways and his wonders. Just look at what he says. Verse 4, God's work, his work, is perfect. There is no fear of flaw in God and or in, in what he does. All that he does and all that he is is impeccable, right? There's no flaw in it. Verse 4 again, his ways are justice. All decisions that he makes are right and good and just. There is no accusation that will stand against God of unfairness or injustice. Verse 4 again, it says he is faithful. He doesn't forsake his people when they forsake him. And he's constant in that. Look at verses 10 and 12 when it speaks about Israel's, Israel's state before God came to them. He says, he found him, Israel, in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him and cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. It's like God is like a father, a caring father, watching over his children, over his people, caring and guiding them all along the way. This is what Moses ascribes to God, who he is, who his character is. He's perfect, just, faithful, and caring. But he doesn't, he uses a different title for God. And as you might catch from the title of the sermon, he actually ascribes all these and he references them to a, a title or, or a metaphor as rock. If you see that over and over again, God is the rock. Verse 4, the rock, right? Verse 15, they forsook or scoffed at the rock. Verse 18, the rock. Verse 31, there is no other rock like our rock. God is constantly referred to as, as the rock, as a rock. Now, why, why would they use this metaphor? Let me just ask children, is God a rock? Kids, anybody? Because I know the adults don't know this answer. Is God a rock? No, God's not a rock, right? He's not a rock. He's not a rock like you hold in your hand that you get from your driveway. No, so if he's not a rock, then why do they keep calling him rock? He's the rock, right? Well, we use metaphors to communicate something about a person's character, a person's nature, right? You might have that kid or know that kid that you say, he's a bull in a china shop, right? Or, he's a couch potato. A person is not really a potato, right? Not really a bull, but it communicates something about their character, about their nature, right? It says something about a characteristic of them. And so the Bible, as Dr. David read for us already from Psalm 62, the Bible over and over again refers to God, especially here in Deuteronomy 32, as the rock. The rock. So what is that phrase, what is that title communicate about God? Well, I think it communicates a couple of things. It appears to, to suggest that God is secure. 
And he provides security. He provides refuge. He provides protection, as Dr. David read from Psalm 62. Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Over and over again, we're reminded that in God, there is security. There is protection in him. That a person can run and take refuge in him. Not only does he does rock communicate security, but also communicates stability. Stability. Psalm 62, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly, anybody know the word? Shaken or moved. Says, in God, there is no shakiness. There is no fear of tremor or earthquake. Is that God provides stability to his people. He is secure and stable, immovable. But not only that, if you've noticed, I've given you two S's, secure and stable, and I'm going to give you another one. Sustaining. That's what the rock communicates. It communicates security, it communicates stability, and it communicates sustaining. That God provides nourishment, provides provision for his people as the rock. And it seems like this is what Moses' song is wanting to get out and draw out for us. That God as the rock is one who sustains his people. Look at this. In verse 13. He made him, that's Israel, ride on the high places of the land. And he ate the produce of the field. And he suckled him with the honey of the what? Of the rock. And oil out of the what? Plenty rock. Is that Moses' song seems to be drawing back on a time when God provided nourishment from a rock. Now, we're going to get there one day in Exodus. As you know, we're coming back to Exodus. I didn't just give up on it when I got tired of preaching it. We're coming back. But in Exodus 17, verse 6, the people are thirsty in the wilderness. And so God provides water from a what? A rock. A rock, right? Gives them water. Deuteronomy 8.15, actually, it talks about this and it uses the same words. Who led you, that's the Lord, through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. Who brought you water out of the flinty rock? And so Moses here in Deuteronomy 13 is drawing back on this. Do you remember when the rock, God, the Lord, your rock, provided water from a rock, right? A rock. Great job, kids. Glad you're listening. The psalmist actually brings this up as well, Psalm 78, that the rock nourished his people from the rock. Psalm 78, 15 through 16 recounts that God split the rocks and they gave water for the people, gushed out water. And then later on in Psalm 78, 35 says, they remembered that God was their rock. So even the psalmist is saying, that rock in Exodus 17 and the rock who is God, they're connected because the rock of salvation saved you, nourished you from a rock that gave you water. Right? The rock of their salvation provided a rock for their salvation. And so rock becomes one of Israel's favorite metaphors to use in reference to, to God because it communicates his security. It communicates his stability. 
and it communicates his sustaining power for his people. How he sustains them. He is their rock who provides water from a rock. And maybe you need to be reminded of these characteristics this morning about the rock. Christian, I want you to know this. You may feel insecure right now. You may feel unstable right now. You may feel unsustained. But you are more secure than you will ever be. More stable than you will ever be. More sustained than you will ever be when you are in Christ. You will never need any more. You are the most secure, the most stabilized, and the most sustained when you are in Christ. So if you feel right now insecure, that there's no security for you, if you feel like you don't have any stability in your life, if you feel like you don't have any, any more to go, any more sustaining power, guess what? In Christ, you have all those things and more and need no more. That's what you have. So there's no, well, if I could blank, then I could blank. Or if I could have blank, then I could be blank. In Christ, there's no if I could. It's Christ has satisfied all those things. He is your security, your stability, and your constant source of nourishment. But in Deuteronomy 32, Moses' song is not dedicated to just the rock's faithfulness. Actually, the majority of it is not dedicated to the rock, God's faithfulness. But actually, it's dedicated to Israel's unfaithfulness to the rock. Point number two, this is vast majority of our verses here 15 through 43 and hopefully you can remember this but this section is basically about God's people being rock bottom people hopefully you'll you'll understand what I mean rock bottom as in they are at the bottom of the bucket because of their sin and their rebellion and their idolatry anybody know the tagline to K-Love they provide blank and blank what kind of music? Positive and encouraging. K-Love, right? Their songs are intended to inspire and promote such feelings, positivity and encouraging. Let me just tell you this. Deuteronomy 32 probably won't make it on a K-Love, right? Um, because Deuteronomy 32 is not necessarily positive. And it's not, I mean, unless you're just really crazy and weird, it's not necessarily encouraging. Right? I mean, the chorus of this song would be, you people are sinful and really, really dumb for what you do. You keep following idols. It's not going to turn out well for you. Your future doesn't look very bright. You can't fix it on your own. That's why you need Jesus. Yeah, that song wouldn't play on Caleb, probably. Right? But this is the nature of Israel right now. And this is what Moses' song says about them. You have this rock of salvation, yet you are operating and living like rock-bottom people. Look at how they respond to the rock of their salvation. Just look at this in verses 15 through 18. So it goes on, so verses 1 through 14 talk about who God is and all that he has been to those people. How he has cared for them, loved them, just guided them and all these things. And then this is how they respond to that. Verse 15, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked, right? 
They grew fat and kicked. And when that happened, they forsook the God who made him. When their bellies were full and they got all their nourishment that they needed, guess what happened? They abandoned the God. They got what they came for and they just left him. Right? Even more so, verse 15, they didn't just forsake him, they scoffed at the rock of salvation. I don't know if, if you know what a scoff is. <laughs> it's more like treating someone as foolish. What, a, what an idiot that person is. That's what they did to God. <laughs> Are you really? You want us to follow you and obey you and keep your laws? That's ridiculous. You're a fool, God. You're a fool. They scoff at the rock of salvation. Look at verse 17. They went so far as to, they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods. They sacrificed to demons. When they sacrificed to their idols, they made all these meat sacrifices and things like that. They didn't know that operating behind all these demons, all these, all these idols were demons and demonic powers. Paul will bring this up in 1 Corinthians 10. You think that this is just an idol made of wood or stone or metal or whatever, but in this is dark powers that you've given yourself over to. You sacrifice to demons. Verse 18, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you. They were oblivious. They were fickle. They were careless. They, they did not regard him. They neglected him. This is how Israel responds to the rock of their salvation. Rock that saved them from Egypt. The rock that nourished them in the wilderness. And the rock that protected them from their adversaries. When their needs were met, they discarded God until another need arose. And I'm afraid, Crosspoint, just listen to me real quick. I'm afraid that we can actually sometimes operate like Israel right now. That we come to God with needs. Give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. And then when all is good, we abandon him, forsake obedience. We treat God in such a manner. When all is good, God is forgotten. And only when things are bad or when a need arises, that's when we run to God, begging him. We think that in those moments when everything is good, God is not necessarily needed. Let me tell you this, Crosspoint. Listen to me. There is not a moment of your life where you don't need God to be your security and your stability and your sustaining power. There's not a moment in your life where whether everything is going great or everything is going terrible, where you don't need God to secure you, to stabilize you, and to sustain you. There's not a second. And so whether in trial or tribulation, whether in feast or famine, you need God. Let me just say this, all these things that Israel did, and they forsook God, they scoffed at him, they worshipped and served other idols, God takes that stuff seriously. He doesn't sit by and just, just ignore what they've done. No, it goes on in verse 19. He says, God gets serious about sin. He gets angry about it. Angry. This rock of salvation is also a rock of justice is that such treatment will not go unnoticed by the rock. He does save and secure and stabilize and sustain, but he also is just. And he doesn't turn a blind eye at sin and rebellion and idolatry. Take it seriously. 
I mean, I, I don't want to have to read over all this because it's, it's serious and dangerous and scary that God takes sin seriously. Because God takes sin seriously, maybe we should take sin seriously. But God is a rock of justice, but he is also a rock of compassion. And all this, he comes back to verse 36. The Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Though his people have rejected him, though they're faithless, God continues to remain faithful, showing compassion to his people, rescuing them. And let me just say this, aren't you glad that God is not an emotional roller coaster on earth? Aren't you glad about that? That God isn't like this, right? You don't know what he's going to be tomorrow. Man, he's nice today, but tomorrow he can be mean. Or tomorrow he can be whiny. Or tomorrow he can be needy or anything like that. Yet, God is not an emotional roller coaster on earth. Praise God, right? Praise God he doesn't go up and down. Aren't you glad? Are you glad and thankful that God doesn't waver in his character every time we waver in our faith? Aren't you glad? Well, I'm going to shift. When their faith shifts, I'll shift and I'll change. No. Deuteronomy 32.4, what we just read about all his characteristics, his perfection, his justice, his faithfulness, all those stay constant and consistent no matter how much we change and how faithless we are and how sinful we are. His character remains the same throughout. Praise God for that, Cross Point family, right? I am so glad we don't have a God like me that changes every single day and how I feel. That He remains unchanged despite our faithlessness. And so how does this God, this rock, how does He extend compassion to faithless idolaters and sinners like us. How does he do that? Let me tell you this. He extends it by the rock that is Christ. If you would, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10. I know I don't ask you to do this, but there's reasons why we have lots of pages in this book so that we can turn to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because right now you might be thinking, First Corinthians, you know, Deuteronomy 32. What does Deuteronomy 32 have to do with Jesus, Wes? You haven't, you haven't shown us anything about Jesus here. Well, let me just turn to my favorite commentator on the Old Testament. And his name is the Apostle Paul. That favorite commentator. You should go out and read everything he writes. You actually have it. You actually have everything that he's written right here. But First Corinthians 10 is that Paul will tell us what Deuteronomy 32 has to do with Christ. Listen to this, starting in verse 1. And um, if you want to hear what an incredible man of the word has to say about 1 Corinthians 10, I would just recommend you go to our website and listen to a fabulous sermon that was preached. I think it was by Shane um, on 1 Corinthians 10. It was great, great sermon. It says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. Now here's where it gets good. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank 
from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Christ. How do you think Paul got this language in 1 Corinthians 10 of Christ being the rock? He probably got it from Deuteronomy 32, right? Got it from Deuteronomy 32. And how do, you know, how do we know this? Well, first, I'm thankful most English translations that you have, they capitalize what? Rock. Because they want, they're, they're trying to help you. They're trying to give you an obvious clue. Hey, look, it's not just any rock. This is the rock. The rock of Deuteronomy 32. Secondly, why I think Paul wants us to think about Deuteronomy 32 is that throughout here, he has already referenced and will reference Deuteronomy 32 four times in this chapter. In verse 13, he references Deuteronomy 32. In verse 20, he references Deuteronomy 32. In verse 22, he references Deuteronomy 32. So Paul wants us, when we read 1 Corinthians 10 and Think about this rock and hear about the rock. He wants us to go back and think about Deuteronomy 32 and all that is said about God and how he was provided security and stability and spiritual nourishment for his people from a rock. That's how Paul can say these things. How can Paul say that Christ is the rock that sustained Israel way back? How can he say that? How can he say that Christ was there and sustained them in the wilderness? Well, I think most of you will be aware that the New Testament informs us that Christ was present and active from eternity past. He was present and active from eternity past. He was present and active in creation. Colossians 1.16, for by him, that's Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He was there in creation. John 1.1, 1, 1, again, is there. Everything that has existence comes from, through, in Christ. He was there. He was there in the Exodus. In Jude, verse 5, a very interesting verse. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So Jesus is in creation, bringing everything into existence. Jesus is there in the Exodus, bringing salvation for his people. And even, I think this is one of the most interesting things, is that he, Christ, is even there in the throne room of Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6. If you remember where he says, he sees the beauty of the Lord. And John, the Gospel of John, quoting these verses, says this about Isaiah. John 12, 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who is his and who is him in John 12, 41? Jesus. So Christ is there in creation. Christ is there in the Exodus. Christ is there in Isaiah's throne room. Christ is there, present and active, at all points from eternity past. And furthermore, it's, it's easy for, for Paul, I think, to see that all the characteristics of the rock in Deuteronomy 32 are equally applied to Jesus. Equally applied. As the rock of our salvation, Christ is our refuge from the coming judgment. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. He delivers us from the wrath to come. 
Christ is our stability and our foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ is our provision and our nourishment. He sustains us until the end. That's why Jesus can say these things in John's Gospel. I am the bread of what? Death. And I am living what? Water. If you come to me, what he says to people, and you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will never hunger or thirst again. He spiritually nourishes his people. How can Paul say that the rock was Christ? Because he is the rock of salvation that brings refuge from the coming judgment, stability, and spiritual nourishment for the long journey of the Christian life. Paul is saying something very profound about Jesus. That what was spoken of Yahweh in Deuteronomy 32 is equally true of Jesus because he is God. Do you see how beautiful God's word is? Do you see how beautiful this is? That Paul can read Deuteronomy 32 and say, Christ is that rock who sustained his people in the wilderness. That's who Christ is. And just as Christ sustained his people in the wilderness, Christ right now, who is upholding the universe by the word of his power, as Hebrews 1 says, is sustaining you right now, brother and sister in Christ. He is sustaining you when you feel weak, weary, heavy laden. He is sustaining you now. But what I would say this, and this is for unbelievers and this is for believers, it's the most dangerous thing that you can do right now. The most dangerous thing that you can do in this life is to think that you can find spiritual nourishment from anything else or anyone else in this world. That is the most dangerous thing that you can do, is to go and look for the bread of life and living water to sustain you from something else than Christ. This is why Jeremiah can say, these are the two great evils of Israel. Listen to what he says, Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. When they, Israel, God's people, they had living water that sustained them every single day, yet they were not happy and satisfied with that. So they went and looked for living water somewhere else, in cisterns and wells somewhere else that could not hold water. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when you go looking for living water in anything else other than Christ Jesus, you will come up empty and thirsty every single time. Every single time, you will walk away more weary, more parched, because the things of this world will never satisfy your soul. Never. And so this morning, Christ is beckoning you, Christian and unbeliever, beckoning you, come. Come to him, the rock of our salvation, who offers living water to the parched, to the weary, sinful souls. The only water that will satisfy. This is why Isaiah can say in Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money. Come buy and eat. It don't matter. You don't need money coming to Jesus, the living water. You don't need anything to offer. He's giving it to you. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which does not satisfy? 
Listen diligent to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. That is what Jesus is beckoning you right now, calling you. Do not go and look for food and water from anything else. Do not go and look for spiritual nourishment. And I'm afraid, Christians, that at times when we do feel parched in dry seasons of dryness, is that we run and look for other things other than Christ. And guess what? It is only going to increase your faith. Jesus is the only one who will satisfy both of you. Christian, how will you drink more deeply from the rock that is Christ in 2023? Ask yourselves this question. How will I drink more deeply from the rock that is Christ? How do you plan to rest in sustaining power and nourishment of Jesus more in 2023? How will you drink deeply from the well of Christ through scripture reading, through prayer, through corporate worship, through discipleship, accountability groups, through personal and corporate evangelism, through missions, through service. These are all the ways that we drink more deeply from the well that is Christ. This morning, if you don't know Christ, this morning you have come in weary and parched and thirsty. Let me just say this, your soul can be nourished and satisfied this morning if you've come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, and guess what? You don't have to have any money to buy it. You don't have to have anything to offer him. He offers you living water and the bread of life to sustain you and save you because Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He gives us security, stability, and sustainment. Let's pray. God, I pray this, that in 2023, you would sustain us more in Christ, who is our rock. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray this morning. Amen.